Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number 44, and it's about the troubles and includes peace people, hunger strikes, and the Good Friday Agreement 1998. I hope you like this. Unfortunately, this is the final episode of series one, and I will elaborate a little more on this at the end of the episode. I hope you like this and that you will share with others on social media. During the Troubles, the Provisional IRA between 1969 and 1998 carried out a guerrilla campaign against British forces, as well as a bombing campaign against infrastructural, commercial and political targets. Loyalists continued to attack the wider Catholic community in what they described as retaliation. All over Northern Ireland, there were bouts of sectarian tit-for-tat violence, as well as feuds within and between paramilitary groups. The British security forces undertook policing and counter-insurgency, primarily against Republicans. There were incidents of collusion between British state forces and loyalist paramilitaries. The Troubles also involved numerous riots, mass protests, and acts of civil disobedience, and led to increased segregation and the creation of temporary no-go areas. By the late 1970s, both communities were weary of the conflict. One sign of this was the formation of the Peace People, founded by Maureen Maguire, Betty Williams and Kieran McKeown. It began in 1976 as a grassroots movement to protest the ongoing violence in Northern Ireland and won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1976. The peace people organised large demonstrations calling for an end to paramilitary violence. Their campaign lost momentum, however, after they appealed to the nationalist community to provide information on the IRA to security forces. In February 1978, the IRA bombed Le Mans, a hotel restaurant in Combourg, County Down. The decade ended with a double attack by the IRA against the British. On the 27th of August 1979, Lord Mountbatten, while on holiday in Mullockmore, County Sligo, was killed by a bomb planted on board his boat. Three other people were also killed. Lady Braburn, the elderly mother of Montbatten's son-in-law, and two teenagers, a grandson of Montbatten and a local boatman. That same day, 18 British soldiers, mostly members of the Parachute Regiment, were killed by two remote-controlled bombs in the Warren Point ambush at Narrow Water Castle near Warren Point, County Down. It was the British Army's largest loss of life in a single incident in Operation Banner. Successive British governments failed to achieve a political settlement and tried to normalise Northern Ireland. 
aspects included the removal of internment without trial and the removal of political status for paramilitary prisoners. Since 1973, paramilitaries were tried in juryless diplock courts to avoid intimidation of jurors. On conviction, they were to be treated as ordinary criminals. Resistance to this policy among Republican prisoners led to more than 500 of them in the Mays prison initiating the blanket and dirty protests. It is suggested that Jerry Adams became the IRA's chief of staff following the arrest of Seamus Toomey in early December 1977. Around that time also, the Southern leaders, such as Rory O'Brodick and Dahi O'Connell, were replaced Adams remaining in the position until the 18th of February 1978, when he, along with 20 other Republican suspects, was arrested following the Le Mans restaurant bombing. He was charged with IRA membership and remanded to Crumlin Road Jail. He was released seven months later when the Lord Chief Justice of Northern Ireland, Robert Lowry, ruled there was insufficient evidence to proceed with the prosecution. On the 10th of December 1974, Rory O'Brodick participated in the Fecal County Clare talks between the IRA Army Council and Sinn Féin leadership and the leaders of the Protestant churches in Ireland. Although the meeting was raided and broken up by the Garda Siakana, the Protestant churchmen passed on proposals from the IRA leadership to the British government. These proposals called on the British government to declare a commitment to withdraw the election of an All-Ireland Assembly to draft a new constitution and an amnesty for political prisoners. The IRA subsequently called a total and complete ceasefire intended to last from the 22nd of December to the 2nd of January 1975 to allow the British government to respond to these proposals. British government officials also held talks with O'Brodick in his position as president of Sinn Féin from late December to the 17th of January 1975. On the 10th of February 1975, IRA Army Council, which may have included O'Brodick, unanimously endorsed an open-ended cessation of IRA hostilities against Crown forces which became known as the 1975 Truce. The IRA Chief of Staff at the time was Seamus Toomey of Belfast. Another member of the Council at this time was probably Billy McKee of Belfast and Dahi O'Connell, a prominent Southern Republican, was also a member. It is reported in some quarters that the IRA leaders had mistakenly believed they had persuaded the British government to withdraw from Ireland and the protracted negotiations between themselves and British officials were the preamble to a public declaration of intent to withdraw. In fact, as British government papers now show, the British entertained talks with the IRA in the hope that this would fragment the movement further and scored several intelligence coups during the talks. It is argued by some that by the time the truce collapsed in late 1975, the provisional IRA had been severely weakened. This bad faith embittered many of the Republican movement. 
and another ceasefire was not to happen until 1994. In the aftermath of the 1975 truce, the Rory O'Brodig and Dottie O'Connell leadership came under severe criticism from a younger generation of activists from Northern Ireland, headed by Gerry Adams, who became vice president of Sinn Féin in 1978. By the early 1980s, O'Brodig's position as president of Sinn Féin was openly under challenge and the era Nua policy was targeted in an effort to oust him. At the following year's Ardesh, O'Brodig and O'Connell resigned from their leadership positions, voicing opposition to the dropping of the era Nua policy by the party. In 1980-81, the Mays prison protests culminated in hunger strikes aimed at the restoration of political status as well as other concessions. Jerry Adams and his colleagues devised a strategy known as the Long War, in which the IRA would be reorganized into small cells, more difficult to penetrate with informers and continue their armed campaign indefinitely until British withdrawal. Parallel, they would win political support through the Sinn Féin party. In 1986, Sinn Féin decided to enter Dáil Éireann, their strategy was referred to as the ballot box and armalite after a speech by Danny Morrison. However, the bombing of civilian targets, particularly the Enniskillen bomb of 1987, in which 12 Protestants attending a war memorial service were killed. This damaged the IRA popular support and Catholics voted in great numbers for the SDLP over Sinn Féin. The IRA also continued to attack targets in Britain and further afield, attempting to assassinate Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher in Brighton in 1984, for example, and blowing up 11 British soldiers on parade in London, as well as Harrods department store. On the 6th of March 1988, three provisional IRA members were shot dead in Gibraltar by British Special Air Service troops. All three, Sean Savage, Daniel McCann and Maureen Farrell, were from Belfast and were killed as part of Operation Flavius, the British military operation targeted at preventing a planned bombing by the IRA. Despite the fact that the three were unarmed, an inquest in September 1988 into the deaths returned a verdict of lawful killing a decision that was subsequently appealed by their families to the European Court of Human Rights, which decided that the operation had been in violation of the European Convention on Human Rights. Less than 14 days after the killings in Gibraltar, a further five people had died in Belfast in truly bizarre circumstances. On the 16th of March 1988, the three funerals of Savage, McCann and Farrell took place in Belfast's Milltown Cemetery. The whole idea around that kind of funeral at the time was that the state couldn't police them too heavily for fear of riots, says Dr. Connor Mulva, professor of Irish history at UCD. That gave Michael Stone the opportunity he was looking for. UDA volunteer Michael Stone attacked the funeral with both Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness in attendance and shot at the mourners with both an automatic pistol and hand grenades. 
His actions left a further three dead, Thomas McGarleen and John Murray, both civilians, and Kevin Brady, a provisional IRA volunteer, while more than 60 people were wounded. When Stone had run out of ammunition, he tried to make his escape. He jogged out onto a nearby motorway and tried to stop a car. He was caught by the funeral crowd and beaten unconscious before the arrival of RUC officers who brought him to hospital. Michael Stone was convicted of three counts of murder committed at the funeral of Kevin Brady. However, in the year 2000, he was released from prison on license under the Good Friday Agreement. In November 2006, Stone was charged with the attempted murder of Martin McGuinness, having been arrested attempting to enter the Parliament buildings at Stormont while armed. He was convicted and sentenced in 2008 to a further 16 years before being released on parole in 2021. The funerals of the three people killed by Stone took place three days after the attack. The atmosphere on that occasion on the 19th of March was one of heightened tension in the whole community, as the cortege at the funeral of Kevin Brady made its way along Anderson's Town Road. A grey Volkswagen Passat came out of nowhere and drove straight at the head of the procession. The car mounted a pavement, scattering mourners, before finding its exit blocked. It then reversed at full speed away from the crowd, only to find its escape blocked once more. The car was set upon by the crowd, which briefly pulled back when they saw the driver was carrying a handgun, from which he fired a single shot. The two men in the car were off-duty British Army Corporals, David Hose and Derek Wood. The two were eventually dragged from the car and beaten and stripped, before being driven to a nearby waste ground where they were shot dead. British Army generally became much more careful to avoid killing civilians. There were, however, many allegations of targeted killings of IRA fighters and so-called shoot-to-kill policy. For instance, at the Lock Hall ambush in 1987, an IRA active service unit of eight men was wiped out. The use of rubber and plastic bullets to control riots the deployment of which was responsible for 16 deaths, mostly Catholics, with many more injuries, became a serious issue. Loyalist violence lulled in the early 1980s, but increased again after the Anglo-Irish Agreement of 1985 in which the British government agreed to give the Irish government a consultative role in Northern Ireland. Loyalists, including a group linked to the DUP, Democratic Unionist Party, named Ulster Resistance, imported weapons from South Africa in response to a feared sellout, in some cases aided by British Army and RUC intelligence. Loyalists began targeting Republican militants and politicians for assassination. The long cash hunger strikes ended up reviving the IRA's flagging support in the nationalist community and across the Republic of Ireland. The deaths of the hunger strikers proving their willingness to die to undermine the British government strategy of treating them as criminals. 
The prisoners Bobby Sands and Owen Curran were elected for Sinn Féin to the British Parliament in a by-election during the hunger strike. Sands subsequently died. Two more hunger strikers, Kieran Doherty and Paddy Agnew, were voted into Dáil Éireann in June 1981. On the 5th of May 1981, Bobby Sands died in the prison hospital on the 66th day of his hunger strike, prompting rioting in nationalist areas of Northern Ireland. More than 100,000 people lined the route of his funeral, which was conducted with full IRA military honours. Margaret Thatcher showed no sympathy for his death, telling the House of Commons that Mr. Sands was a convicted criminal. He chose to take his own life. It was a choice that his organisation did not allow to many of its victims. In the two weeks following Sands' death, three more hunger strikers died. Francis Hughes died on the 12th of May, resulting in further rioting in national areas of Northern Ireland, in particular Derry and Belfast. Following the deaths of Raymond McCreish and Patsy O'Hara on the 21st of May, Tomás O'Feak criticised the British government's handling of the hunger strikes. Despite this, Thatcher continued to refuse to negotiate a settlement, stating during a visit to Belfast, faced with the failure of their discredited cause, the men of violence have chosen in recent months to play what may well be their last card. There was widespread rioting in national areas upon the deaths of the hunger strikers. In 1994, the Provisional IRA declared a unilateral ceasefire. This was followed six weeks later by a ceasefire from the main Loyalist military groups. The IRA broke its ceasefire on the 9th of February 1996, when they detonated a powerful truck bomb in South Quay, London. The blast killed two people and devastated a wide area causing an estimated £150 million worth of damage. The IRA had sent warnings 90 minutes beforehand, but the area was not fully evacuated. As well as the two people who were killed, more than 100 were injured. The reason given was that Sinn Féin was not allowed into negotiations before the IRA gave up its weapons. In 1997, the IRA resumed its ceasefire and Sinn Féin was readmitted to talks. These also involved the nationalist SDLP and the Irish government, as well as the UUP or Ulster Unionist Party, the Alliance Party, the Progressive Unionist Party and Ulster Democratic Party, representing loyalist paramilitaries and the Women's Coalition. The DUP, led by Ian Paisley, refused to participate as long as Sinn Féin took part. These negotiations culminated in the Good Friday Agreement of 1998. The main focus of the agreement was that the constitutional status of Northern Ireland would be decided only by the democratic vote of its inhabitants, known as the Consent Principle. But the people from Northern Ireland would be entitled to both British an Irish citizenship. This agreement returned self-government to Northern Ireland, which stipulated that the government must be formed by equal numbers of nationalists and unionist ministers in proportion to their vote. Cross-border bodies were established 
and the Republic gave up its territorial claim to Northern Ireland. The RUC police force was disbanded and replaced by the Police Service of Northern Ireland, which would include a proportion of Catholic officers in its ranks. The agreement was passed by referenda in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, with the acceptance in the Republic of the deletion from the Constitution of the claim to Northern Ireland. Articles 2 and 3 were replaced, and the following wording was included. The birthright of all the people of Northern Ireland to identify themselves and be accepted as Irish or British, or both, as they may so choose, and accordingly confirm that their right to hold both British and Irish citizenship is accepted by both governments and would not be affected by any future change in the status of Northern Ireland. Political deadlock and violence did not disappear, and on the 15th of August 1998, in the town of Oma, County Tyrone, a deadly car bomb exploded. It was carried out by a group calling themselves the Real IRA, opposed the Provisional IRA ceasefire and the Good Friday Agreement, signed earlier in the year. The bombing killed 29 people and injured about 220 others, making it the deadliest single incident of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Telephone warnings, which did not specify the actual location, had been sent almost 40 minutes beforehand, but police inadvertently moved people towards the bomb. The victims included people of all backgrounds, and specifically six teenagers, six children, a woman pregnant with twins, two Spanish tourists, and others on a day trip from the Republic of Ireland. The bombing caused outrage both locally and internationally, but helped to move forward the Northern Ireland peace process and dealt a severe blow to the dissident Irish Republican campaign. The real IRA denied that the bomb was intended to kill civilians and shortly afterwards the group declared a ceasefire. Both unionists and nationalists were killed and injured as a result of the bombing new anti-terrorism laws were swiftly enacted by both the United Kingdom and Republic of Ireland. Sadly, it would appear later that British, Irish and US intelligence agencies allegedly had information which could have prevented the bombing, most of which came from double agents inside the real IRA. But this information was not given to the RUC. In 2008, The BBC reported that British intelligence agency GCHQ was monitoring conversations between the bombers as the bomb was being driven into Oma. The Northern Ireland Executive is the devolved government of Northern Ireland, an administrative branch of the legislature, the Northern Ireland Assembly. It is answerable to the Assembly and was initially established according to the terms of the Northern Ireland Act 1998, which followed the Good Friday Agreement. The executive is referred to in the legislation as the Executive Committee of the Assembly and is an example of power-sharing government. The executive consists of the First Minister and Deputy First Minister and various ministers with individual portfolios and remits. 
the main assembly parties appoint most ministers in the executive, except for the Minister of Justice, who is elected by a cross-community vote. It is one of three devolved governments in the United Kingdom, the others being the Scottish and Welsh governments. The original Northern Ireland Executive was established on the 1st of January 1974, following the Sunningdale Agreement. It comprised a voluntary coalition between the UUP, Ulster Unionist Party, Social Democratic and Labour Party, and Alliance Party of Northern Ireland, with the UUP's Brian Faulkner in the position of Chief Executive. It was short-lived, collapsing on the 28th of May 1974 due to the Ulster Workers' Council strike, and the troubles continued in the absence of a political settlement. The current executive was provided for in the Belfast Agreement, signed on the 10th of April 1998. Designates for First Minister and Deputy First Minister were appointed on the 1st of July 1998 by the UUP and SDLP respectively. A full executive was nominated on the 29th of November 1999 and took office on the 2nd of December 1999, comprising the UUP, SDLP, Democratic Unionist Party and Sinn Féin. Devolution was suspended for four periods, during which the departments came under the responsibility of direct rule ministers from the Northern Ireland office. Between the 12th of February 2000 and the 30th of May 2000, on the 11th of August 2001, on the 22nd of September 2001, and between the 15th of October 2002 and the 8th of May 2007. The collapse in February 2000 occurred as unionist leader David Trimble refused to operate it while IRA weapons had not been decommissioned. It was re-established in May of that year but remained fragile and collapsed again in 2002. The 2002 to 2007 suspension followed the refusal of the UUP Ulster Unionist Party to share power with Sinn Féin after a high-profile police service of Northern Ireland investigation into an alleged provisional Irish Republican army spiring. There was also widespread rioting each summer for several years during Orange Order parades, resulting in several deaths, notably around the Drum Cree conflict during 1996-2000. to 2000. During this time, loyalist groups also engaged in a number of internecine feuds, resulting in about 40 deaths up to the mid-2000s. The Drum Cree conflict is an annual dispute over parades in the town of Portatown, a mainly Protestant town with a significant Catholic minority, and it hosts numerous Orange Order marches each summer. The Orange Order insists that it should be allowed to march its traditional route to and from Drumcree Church on the Sunday before the 12th of July. However, most of this route is through a mainly Catholic nationalist part of town. The residents, who see the march as sectarian and triumphalist, have sought to ban it from their area. The Orangemen see it as an attack on their traditions, they had marched the route since 1807, when the area was mostly rural. 
David Trimble's position deteriorated as the party lost electoral support to the DUP at the same time as Sinn Féin overtook the SDLP as the Nationalist Party with the largest vote. The Provisional IRA delayed in destroying all of its weapons arsenal until 2005, when a large quantity of guns, explosives and ammunition were disposed of under international supervision. Some would say it was never completely destroyed. The IRA also announced the definitive end of its armed campaign. In response, the British Army began dismantling its fortified bases across Northern Ireland and withdrawing from active deployment there. By early 2010, all the paramilitary groups had undertaken some decommissioning. Discussions continued between Sinn Féin and the DUP, which finally produced a deal whereby those two parties would form a new Northern Ireland executive in 2007 with a DUP First Minister, Ian Paisley, and Sinn Féin Deputy First Minister, IRA veteran Martin McGuinness. Martin McGuinness, 1950-2017, to 2017, was an Irish Republican politician representing Sinn Féin. He acknowledged that he was a former IRA member, but stated that he left the IRA in 1974. In 1972, at the age of 21, he was second-in-command of the IRA in Derry, a position he held at the time of Bloody Sunday, when 14 civil rights protesters were killed in the city by British soldiers of the 1st Battalion Parachute Regiment. McGuinness became the Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland from May 2007 to January 2017. Martin McGuinness served as a Member of Parliament MP for Mid-Ulster from 1997 until his resignation in 2013. All Sinn Féin MPs followed abstentionism in the Westminster Parliament. Working alongside US Special Envoy George Mitchell, McGuinness was also one of the main architects of the Good Friday Agreement, which formally created the Northern Ireland peace process and established the Northern Ireland Assembly. In 1998, McGuinness was elected as the member of the Legislative Assembly, or MLA, for Mid-Ulster. He served as Minister of Education in the Northern Ireland Executive under First Minister David Trimble from 1999 to 2002, following the St Andrews Agreement and the 2007 Northern Ireland Assembly election, the impossible happened, and he became Deputy First Minister in Northern Ireland on the 8th of May 2007, with the Democratic Unionist Party leader, Ian Paisley, becoming First Minister. In 2008 and 2016, he was reappointed as Deputy First Minister to serve alongside Peter Robinson and Arlene Foster, respectively. He was Sinn Féin's candidate for President of Ireland in the 2011 Republic of Ireland's presidential election. In the 2016 Northern Ireland Assembly election, McGuinness was elected as the MLA for FOIL. On the 9th of January 2017, McGuinness resigned as Deputy First Minister in protest over the renewable heat incentive scandal dubbed Cash for Ash. He announced on the 19th of January that he would not be standing for re-election 
in the 2017 Northern Ireland Assembly due to ill health and retired shortly before his death on the 21st of March 2017, aged 66. The Troubles caused a deepening of sectarianism, especially in working-class urban areas where fortified peace walls still separate Catholic from Protestant in some areas. It is widely considered that nationalists gain more from the peace process than unionists, as the unionist character of Northern Ireland was undermined, strict majority rule abolished, and discrimination against Catholics reversed by quotas. However, it is also true that Republicans ended up putting aside their demand for a united Ireland and working within a partitionist settlement. Estimates of the total number of Republicans imprisoned throughout the conflict amount to 15,000, while Loyalists imprisoned is estimated at less than 10,000. However, Catholic civilians were significantly more likely to be killed than Protestant civilians, leading Republicans to argue that their violence was legitimate warfare against state forces, whereas the Loyalist campaign was simply sectarian murder. Around 450 paramilitary prisoners who were affiliated to political parties which had signed up to the Good Friday Agreement were all released in 1998. However, about 70 dissident Republican prisoners are still held under anti-terrorism legislation for acts committed since then. Moreover, as evidenced by the 2014 arrest of Sinn Féin leader Jerry Adams for the murder of Jean McConville in 1972, there has been no amnesty for acts committed prior to the agreement. Northern Ireland's future remains ambiguous, particularly since Great Britain, through the Brexit referendum in 2016, has withdrawn from the European Union, even though Northern Ireland voted to stay. The Northern Ireland Protocol, which ensures that no hard border exists on the island of Ireland, is under serious threat. Catholics now form an almost equal proportion of the population to Protestants. This has led to many to predict a nationalist majority in the future, with a consequent end to partition, and, for the first time in a hundred years of its existence, the Northern Ireland general election of 2022 has produced a majority for nationalists. However, the latest polls indicate that support for United Ireland is not unanimous among Catholics, with 20% preferring to stay in the United Kingdom, 35% in favour of unity in 20 years, and only 7% in favour of unification now. Support for Irish unity amongst Protestants is very low, at about 4%. While these preferences may change, Northern Ireland remains closely tied to the United Kingdom economically. The conflict period damaged its economy greatly and also coincided with the deindustrialization in Western Europe, which decimated its shipbuilding and linen industries. Over 30% of the workforce is directly employed in the public sector, compared with under 20% in Great Britain or the Republic of Ireland. The Northern Ireland Regional Government 
is also heavily subsidized from London, raising 14 billion in taxes in 2011 to 2012, for example, but spending 23 billion. Until the Republic of Ireland is able to make up this shortfall, unification of Ireland would be extremely difficult. Thus, the status quo appears likely to remain for the foreseeable future. In 2020, the British government, led by Boris Johnson, as part of its withdrawal agreement from the European Union, agreed to a Northern Ireland Protocol, in which Northern Ireland, alone among the UK's constituent parts, would remain within the EU's customs and regulatory area. This avoided a trade barrier within Ireland, as the Irish government and the EU had insisted upon, but created a new informal trade Irish Sea border between Northern Ireland and Britain. This led to a wave of loyalist protest in early 2021. The current political situation in 2022 in Northern Ireland sees Sinn Féin holding the majority of Stormont seats. Sinn Féin will be the largest party in the Northern Ireland Assembly for the first time ever, pushing the DUP or the Democratic Unionist Party into second place. A Unionist Party has always held the most seats at Stormont since Northern Ireland was formed in 1921. Sinn Féin now has 27 seats compared to the DUP's 25. The result means Michelle O'Neill will be entitled to become First Minister, unprecedented for a nationalist. The Cross Community Alliance Party has returned 17 MLAs, more than doubling its previous number from 2017. The UUP, or Ulster Unionist Party, lost one MLA to return with nine, while the SDLP seats fell from 12 to 8. Although Sinn Féin can now nominate a First Minister, they cannot take up the office unless the DUP, the biggest party from the Unionist side, agrees to nominate a Deputy First Minister. As of now, the 10th of August 2022, its leader, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, has not yet made a decision on whether the party will do that. He recently said his party would respect the result of the election. However, there needed to be changes made to the Northern Ireland Protocol. The Protocol is an element of the UK's Brexit Agreement with the European Union, which keeps Northern Ireland aligned with the EU single market for goods and avoids a hard border on the island of Ireland. Some Unionists have said the Protocol created a trade border between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Sinn Féin also currently hold the position of being the largest opposition party in Dáil Éireann, and this places them in the very strong position of possibly entering government in the Republic of Ireland. At some stage, through the ballot box, in the near future, Sinn Féin could be in the unenviable position of being in power in both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland at the same time. The ultimate goal of Sinn Féin is for Northern Ireland to leave the UK and become united with the Republic of Ireland. However, this would require a border poll. The Northern Ireland Act 1998, 
which followed the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, stated that Northern Ireland remained part of the United Kingdom and shall not cease to be so without the consent of a majority of the people of Northern Ireland voting in a poll. It also stated that the Northern Ireland Secretary would agree to hold a poll if it appeared likely that a majority of people wanted a united Ireland. Successive opinion polls suggest that this is not yet the case, with the most recent, published in April of this year, putting support at about a third. I have come to the final episode of Season 1 of the Land of the Golden Sunset podcast. I must apologise for the recent weakness in voice quality, as I am currently having my own little battle with a rare form of thyroid cancer. If I manage to get through this ordeal, I promise to return with Season 2, and meanwhile, I will continue to research and write the episodes. You can support me by becoming a patron of the podcast by visiting my website, https landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com, where you can also follow, like, or leave a comment or review. Thank you for tuning in, and be safe.
silver and gold Yeah.